0: Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and my able co host, Oliver Jones. This conversation is with Gabby Matic. Gabby is the program director for the ATI Boeing Accelerator. As an ex founder and veteran of several accelerator programs, including Ignite and Techstars, she has been tasked with designing the best program for companies building the future of UK aerospace. We explore some of the extraordinary advancements being made in aerospace and discuss the role accelerators can play in boosting the chances of success for a startup. So without further ado, we bring you Gabby Matic.
1: Okay, good afternoon everyone. We're here today with Gabby Matic from the ATI Boeing Accelerator.
2: That's the one, yes.
1: Thanks for joining us. We're really excited to talk about that. It sounds like a really cool project. Um, And before we get there, it'd be good to give our listeners some context on you and uh, how you got there.
2: All right. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. As you will very soon realize when you hear me speak, I am not from the UK. So in terms of background, I am Austrian on my passport. Um, That's where I grew up. Um, I was born in Bosnia. So my, my parents are Serbian and Croatian. And very early on, well, decided I wanted to go somewhere else than just Austria. And always loved English, so decided to go to the UK. Did my master's in Glasgow. And yes, I know this is not really English. <laughs> I, I learned that pretty quickly. <laughs> but good thing is I now um, understand pretty much any accent you throw at me. Yeah. So there's that. And you, um, didn't, you
1: didn't pick up the accent yourself?
2: No, I, I tried. Really. I, I would have liked that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really um, fun. But I didn't. I didn't. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's like bits and pieces and potentially when I'm drunk. I'm not sure. But um, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. Glasgow is an amazing city, especially for students. So had a really good time there. And that's also where my kind of entrepreneurial journey started. So that's why I got together with my then co-founders and we built a business called Mindmate. We were four, four co-founders who had never done it before. We didn't really know what we were doing or didn't know what we were doing at all. And I think the only thing really driving us at that point was this really, really big purpose that was behind it. So Mindmate, back then when we started it, was a platform to support people with dementia and their families and carers we all felt really strongly about that. I, for example, so my dad is a nurse in an elderly home in Austria, and I probably spent too much time in elderly homes when I was younger. So I knew about the problem and it was something I, I was kind of quite enthusiastic about trying to solve or at least do something um, with. Yeah, it was a really, really fun, but also very hard journey. So we were still in uni when we came up with the idea. We're <laughs> about to start writing our dissertations and it started as a I need to write my dissertations and then when I'm done in the evenings I'm, bu- I'm building this business and flipped very quickly to I'm building this business and I still need to <laughs> write this shit to the in my free time. Um, we all managed which was great but yeah it became the focus pretty quickly. We also realised really quickly that we needed help which is when my first kind of contact with accelerators came in so we applied for a few in the UK but also um, in other places in Europe and decided to go for the Ignite Accelerator in Newcastle. So we moved to Newcastle straight um, after uni and that was a very, very big milestone for the business. It changed it completely and helped us to actually create something people wanted and um, get it out there and get some feedback from real customers and that was quite exciting. So my role was, I was a CMO and my part was all about user acquisition and dealing with our customers' sales and that type of thing. And it was really fun and we, did well, I, if, even if I say so myself, I think <laughs> we did quite well at that point, so we raised a bit of funding after the accelerator. We also sold into the NHS, okay. which is a big milestone for us, or was a big milestone for us. Pretty quickly realized that um, the UK was great, but it was also very, very hard to get into kind of more care homes, so our B2B solution was selling into care homes rather than only B2C to the user at home. and. Yeah, it was just very very hard um so we were like okay this is hard so why don't go there where the bigger market is which is the us which is when we then moved to new york and we did textiles in new york which was another accelerator one would say we we were accelerator hopping we were not Mm -hmm. we were just realizing the opportunity that you know the first accelerator gave us which was basically opening up an incredible network in the uk and decided to do the same in the us kind of at a slightly different stage. And that was amazing too. Very different experience, but but awesome. But also very hard. So the business changed quite fundamentally. It became harder and harder in terms of co-founder relationships. Four co-founders are quite a lot. After that experience, I then decided to leave the business. And the team is still out there. They're still in the US, now based on, in California. The business is very different today, um, but they're doing really well, which is great. And yeah, I'm now at the other side of the table. Helping founders and sharing my experience, and hopefully helping them not make some of the mistakes that we have back mm. in the day. And, and it's much easier to be on this side of the table, just saying.
1: Uh, <laughs> and, and to that point, do you think that MindMate mm-hmm. would have achieved what it has achieved so far without those two accelerator experiences?
2: No, I don't think so. And is mean, that
1: because of the because as, as co-founders you were all it was you were all first-time founders?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think that the value first of all. I mean, as a as a first-time founder in general, you literally do not know anything. But just the feeling of being in a group of or a cohort of other startups going through the same thing as you are helps so so much. The good accelerators out there also do a really good job in, you know, pointing you to the right direction mm-hmm. and opening up the network to help accelerate mm-hmm. that whole process. So it, both of them were really really crucial to what the business mm-hmm. has done. I think.
1: Well, you you clearly bought into it because <laughs> then you then moved to Ignite.
2: Yes. Exactly, So exactly. presumably you,
1: you, your context there, mm-hmm. and you're like, I don't know, how, how did that come yeah, about? Yeah,
2: yeah. So that's a, that's a fun one. Um, so those, those out there that know Ignite will know that the ethos and kind of the kind of community the accelerator has is a very, and this will sound really cheesy, but it is like a little family. And we always say in the accelerator, and that's what I've been told back in the day as well, when I joined with my startup, once you join, you're part of it forever. I took this quite literally <laughs> and just stayed forever. But it's also because it's a community of people that are really, really keen to help each other. And, and I mean, there's a few examples of founders joining each other's businesses after one of them failed or you know, just starting to work for each other or you know, giving people clients and, 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 and contacts that then made a really, really big, big difference. So it's cool. Um, and I really felt like I was part of that already. But after leaving my startup, I actually didn't, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And then just was on the phone to a friend who at that point was an associate for Ignite. And she was just like, hmm, are you looking for a job maybe? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know, maybe, am I? I'm not sure. (laughs) And uh, just decided to try it and loved it and stayed with it.
0: Was a choice of Ignite geographical? Was there any good options in Glasgow, Scotland, that you saw, or was it the nearest available, high profile accelerator you could find?
2: Um so it was a mix of things so we at that point i think had almost used up all of the resources we could find in scotland <laughs> mm. and that's that has obviously now been almost five years ago for four and a bit years ago I drunk
1: all the mineral water uh, yes
2: <laughs> we did we did and and it's 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 changed a lot since then and there's a lot more support than there used to be when i did the startup back then in glasgow um so for us it was really the lack of at that point fund more additional funding and also support structure, So we knew we had to go somewhere else. But we also had started building really strong relationships with care homes up in Scotland, but also some charities that were really, really useful. So we didn't want to go that far and Newcastle just made a lot of sense. So it just worked because it was also in between sort of London and Glasgow. And it just felt like the right decision in terms of that. And not only the location, but we also obviously, you know, did our research and, and asked alumni what they thought of the program and just made sure we understood what the value really is we could get out of it
0: and was it part of ignite's playbook to get you to expand into new york or was um, that just where you saw the commercial opportunity because it's great if you've got a company in, in the truest sense of an accelerator a company being started in glasgow going to newcastle mm-hmm. and then making serious inroads into the u.s is exactly what we what we want really
2: no 100 percent. i wouldn't say directly through ignite but i think in the mentoring sessions and all of the network that they um, helped us kind of have access to definitely opened some of those doors i think i don't even remember who the first person was i think we spoke to the textiles team in london as well it just felt like the a new york program was uh, the best fit
1: What yeah. did you find the difference between the ignite program and the textiles program because mm-hmm. i mean i'm then interested to see how you've you've developed this new ATI Boeing yeah. program.
2: Yeah. There's lots of similarities. So they're both very much based on, on having world class mentors in um, that help founders with their expertise, whether that's industry experts or just general kind of startup um, mentors and entrepreneurs. The cohorts the cohort in textiles was a bit larger, so we were fifteen companies, whereas at Ignite we were only ten. I think I would say the intensity is a similar one, but just kind of the the level of global facing mentors is obviously a bit higher in mm. Texas, so we had some some pretty high-hitters in there. That was great, but on the other hand, I also felt like there were some mentors during Ignite that were so hands-on and gave away so much time, mm. where it was hard to imagine that to be the case for some of those kind of more higher-profile individuals, which makes sense because they're obviously very busy. So both had their pros and cons, I would say, I mm. don't I don't think. And also in terms of stage, Ignite was perfect because we were so, so early. And text does work because we were, you know, a couple of steps further than that, so mm-hmm. it worked out well.
1: But and they're both cohort based and mm-hmm. three months. Yes. And is it like you do a different topic or theme each week, irrespective of? Because presumably they take on a cohort, but the business is all at slightly different mm-hmm. stages. So does it make sense to feed each uh, business in the cohort the same piece of information each week, um, or is it better to tailor the experience?
2: I I mean. I'm a fan of tailoring, which mm. is what we're trying to do with our current program now. But to be honest, if you have similar stages or the same stage of company, and you kind of have an oversight of, okay, is it predominantly B2C, is it predominantly B2B? There's a lot you can do that's a bit more of a general approach that fits everyone. Obviously, there's always going to be founders that potentially have more experience, or founders that you know are even um, less experienced. Mm. You could obviously always feel that. There was always sessions in both Ignite and, textiles where I thought, ah, not sure I needed that because, for example, I have a business background, Mm. someone else might not. But then talking about the more technical side of it,
1: (laughs) uh, I need all the support on that front. So
2: I think it works as long as you have similar stages of companies. But yeah, we in our programme try to tailor it very, very strongly Uh, out of various reasons, but we can talk about that.
1: Mm. So then you worked within the Ignite system for, for how long?
2: Four years almost. Four years? Yeah. And
1: then some initiative happened to Spock. Yes. Okay. So what was yes. that?
2: Yes. So um, at that point, I mean, I ran, I think, six or five programs with Ignite, different stages, different sort of structured programs. So we ran three-month programs, we ran six-month programs, virtual programs all around, um, across the UK. Um, so we've tested different models and that was really interesting. Um, For me personally, I, since I moved back from um, New York, was based in London, so traveling for all of those programs. So I ran programs in Manchester, ran programs in um, Newcastle and the virtual ones as well, which were kind of traveling around the UK like a circus a little bit. That's Mm. how it felt like. Um, But um, it was fun. But after a while, I also thought, hmm, I kind of want to be home too sometimes. So we were looking for opportunities in London as well. Ignite still nowadays does a lot in the north, so we still have programs in Belfast running, um, Mm. which different stages as well, one pre-accelerator and one accelerator. But yeah, for for, for me, yeah, it was important to find something that's maybe a little bit closer to Mm -hmm. to home. And that opportunity came up, actually, I I think we were really lucky in that sense because our Boeing and Horizon X partner, so the person on the ground that works with us on a day-to-day basis is someone called Nicola Bates. And Nicola knew about Ignite and has known for, about Ignite for a long time. She also mentored for Ignite. She mentored me back in the day when I went through Ignite with my um, company. So when Boeing started those conversations with the ATI, the Aerospace Technology Institute, to put a program together, and they obviously had to find a delivery partner, Nicholas said, hey, those those guys could be interesting, which obviously, you know, if you th- in a grand scale of things, um, if you think about the accelerators everyone knows about, you would probably think Techstars. So that was really good. And we then obviously um, had to tender, um, had to go through a very, very long, hard process of competitive applications and, and interviews, um, and won the contract, which was great. Amazing. Yeah. It, I would definitely say that was, for me personally, in terms of my career, one of the Biggest achievement so far, other than the startup stuff, which obviously because you were
1: running delivery of this this yes. initiative. Yes,
2: yes. So it's uh, we're a small team. We and Ignite has always run a little bit like a startup, which is why I enjoyed it, or I'm enjoying it because it still feels like it's quite small. Although, um, obviously with a little bit more resource from Ignite, it's me and uh, my colleague Will, who has run um, Ignite programs with me historically as well. So both of us are based in London, and both of us kind of decided to do this um, for Ignite, basically. Mm-hmm and we also hired an associate, Xenia, who also has startup experience. It's the three of us basically as a core team, so we're quite small and and lean, but with lots of resources around us.
1: And you, as a team, you're in charge of running the delivery of this project mm-hmm. via Ignite, kind of?
2: Kind of, so it's like a little bit like a franchised Ignite, okay. basically, okay. yeah.
1: And the funding comes from both ATI and, and Boeing.
2: Um, so the program itself is also part government funded, um, but then Boeing funds part of the um, program delivery, and they also invest into the programs. Okay. Into the programs, into the startups. Uh, they are the platinum sponsor, so to say. So they've committed to do this for um, two programs. This is the first one, and the second one um, is coming up in September.
0: So when you won that contract for mm-hmm. Boeing, they were aware that you guys were going to be a small team, but we're going to deliver it to your to best abilities who, who were you up against yeah. everybody like, yeah
2: yeah of course I mean, and you're
0: talking about people with like dozens and dozens of operating yeah. teams wow yeah
2: yeah definitely. that's amazing I, I was thinking about this a lot while we were still in the process um trying to understand what it is they really wanted out of their delivery team and i think one of the main reasons why we were the right delivery partner is the whole element of building a new ecosystem and community around something exciting like aerospace. So with Ignite, we spend years and years building ecosystems in different cities in the UK, starting with Newcastle and, and Belfast and, and everywhere. And we are quite good at that. And I think the aerospace industry, when it gets to startups, it's still quite small, still quite fragmented. And actually bringing that together and, and making sure there is some sort of community that helps each other and lifts each other up and connects you know, each other is what they are thriving to do, and mm. I think we are the right ones to help with that.
1: Mm. And so when you when you, when you you won the, won the business,
2: mm-hmm.
1: when was that, and what's the timeline been since then?
2: Yeah, so that was spring last year. Um, then we spent a little bit of time on onboarding, so understanding what the sponsors, um, so it's not just Boeing, it's also GKN Aerospace, who is a gold sponsor. Um, want and want to get out of the program um, what kind of um, challenges they have and what kind of startups they want to work with so that was sort of the first um, preparation period
0: Mm -hmm. was that Um, an education piece from you or did they come to you knowing what they wanted
2: it was a mix i think they definitely had a good idea around what they what they wanted but also helping them understand what startups actually look like, how startups work Mm. and what's possible and how timelines, you know, have to be different Mm. (laughs) if you want a little startup to actually survive that process Mm. came from us as a kind of educational piece. And that's been really, really good. Like both of our sponsors have been very, very keen to learn and help, you know, adapt to that a little bit. Obviously, Boeing is huge. Mm. It's literally like, biggest company in the world basically mm-hmm. um, if you look at employees and, and how much stuff they do um, so we're still working on that mm. there's still um, elements of the business um, that we haven't probably spoken to but yeah. every day we're kind of working away further inside and, and trying to educate everyone and, and make them excited about the startups and then GKN are slightly smaller a lot easier in their case but they are very very excited to do stuff as well they've been really really good
1: and so you've just launched the first yes. cohort. Which startups were you looking for when you mm-hmm. when you invited applications for that cohort?
2: Yeah, so we, we we kept it a little bit broad in terms of the theme. the The theme it's on the website basically was um, industry four and sustainability enabling mm. technologies in aerospace. In aerospace. What that means is basically everything, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which was fun because it also helped us understand what's out there and helped the sponsors understand what's out there, because obviously there's so much that they could do Mm. with startups. There's so many little things, you know, little projects that they could be working on. The only thing we kind of restricted a little bit was the stage. So it's C to Series A, but kind of making sure they're all in a similar stage when it gets to clients. So already having some traction, so Mm. having sort of proven it a little bit, but not having scaled massively yet. Um, so all of those um, companies we work with are in that stage currently which makes it obviously easier to structure a program around that
1: And every every company gets
0: 100 K?
2: Yes, 100 K um, Structured as an uncapped safe note from Boeing Horizon X.
0: Okay, and their contact time with Boeing mm-hmm. uh, etc uh, what, what involvement will they have will they send experts from within Boeing's um, Staff roster yeah, yeah. to come and speak or do they share in IP research? other other sort of, I guess, tangible things other than simply capital?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have already. So I think what was really important for us is to make sure that the startups have some sort of commercial outcome out of this, because that's the main goal. So mm. if you ask a startup, why are you joining a an, an, an corporate accelerator? They will say to get business. Mm. Doing that pre-work and doing that onboarding with our sponsors months and months before the program even started was really, really important. And they were also included in the application process so once a company applied to us we obviously did the pre-screening to just make sure they are relevant but boeing and gkn both already at that point um were involved in you know roughly having insight into okay what are the topics that those startups you know are working on what are they actually interested in and already at that point we made them go back and internally check all right who would then the per- people be to put them in touch with when the time is right because that's the only way to do it as quickly as possible because getting anything done in a big company like boeing in three months is literally <laughs> impossible <laughs> um so that was so helpful because once we were at the point where we had our final cohort those conversations were already happening we had more senior boeing people um, and horizon x people come visit us in the second week of the program, that was also called Boeing week, where we had mentoring sessions, office hours, a few um, kind of workshops as well about things like IT services and fun stuff that you need to deal with when you want to be plugged into a supply chain like that. The same thing with GKN, so one of their kind of um, IP specialists did an IP session with the teams helping them understand what the kind of important things around that are. So there's quite a lot of contact time they have with um, different parts of the business. Like I said, Nick, she is on ground basically day to day and is kind of the translator between the startups and Boeing. Why that is important for me personally is that she, for example, also has a startup background. So we have someone in Boeing actually who understands startups and who can go back and, you know, be the advocate and the champion internally and and help a little bit with that understanding which i think is what makes us special compared to others mm,
1: because you've been given this you're in a really good position amazing. because you've been given this amazing opportunity to to build a program from scratch and mm-hmm. put all your experience mm-hmm. from ignite both as a alumnus mm-hmm. and as someone working and a textiles as well what what do you think you've added to to this program that makes it a special one
2: mm-hmm. number one is probably the startup experience that i've done what they are going through and that everyone in our team has done it so will our venture and ecosystem director he has had a startup as well xenia has worked in a startup um so actually coming from that world and understanding what's important to them and why you know mm. t- timelines have to be different they have to understand the processes a little bit better um i think helps a lot and and speaking and the same language yes 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 i mean I need to have someone to translate corporate to me sometimes, but um, it works because we've got a lot of support um, from the ATI and and Boeing partners. And um, the other thing is probably going through two programs showed me that it's hard to get it. You know, you, you can never get it perfectly right. But the more tailored you can be, the better the outcome will be, which is why everything we do in this program is basically something that we know the companies need, because we've had those conversations with them before the program even started. And we're having them on a kind of rolling basis, mm. so we're plugging content in pretty much as we go. Sometimes because things pop up
0: right. and sure. people
2: realise that they actually now really urgently need to speak to someone about X, Y, Z. And um, I guess
1: it helps that it's quite is it a cohort of nine, the first one. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's rea- I guess that's relatively small. Yeah. Yeah. So that helps.
2: Perfect number, I would say. Right. We've, we've worked okay. with cohorts mm. of twenty before, and that's. Yeah. Too much, right? But six, for example, is almost too little. Fun okay. fact. Interesting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and how many applications did you get for it?
2: Almost three hundred. Oh wow!
1: Wow. Yeah. wow! In aerospace. Yes, I know, wow, right? And that—that cool.
2: that was crazy for yeah. us as well. Like we were expecting—I don't know what we were expecting—but because it was a new program and because aerospace, obviously, very fragmented and kind of startups aren't out there that much. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely demand, and it makes it even more exciting.
0: But there's such a strong brand name behind Boeing. Yeah. That them turning their hand to this seemed very exciting. Mm. One question: Why have Boeing come to the UK mm-hmm. to do this? I've, I've been in Seattle and seen they've got a massive office there. Mm-hmm. So, what what is their interest in the UK aerospace startup scene?
2: Yeah, so they do have a factory in Sheffield in the UK, and okay. they do have other um, um, things going on in around Europe, um, Poland and Poland, in Switzerland, and different I think areas. Um, and they have um. A, fair amount of people working in Europe hmm. for Boeing. Is it a U.S. Um, company? Boeing itself, yes, right. yep. okay. yes. Because there's a big um,
0: discussion between Boeing and Airbus as to who will continue <laughs> to work within the UK, yeah. which is a point I'll get onto in a, a bit later.
2: Yeah, yeah, but to be honest, for me personally, I think that someone needs to.
0: But for, for instance, are, are the UK, do we have a good reputation for aerospace?
2: There's some S- exciting things going on in the UK in aerospace, 100%. Over
0: and above them focusing solely on doing this in the US, or they have interests like this in the US as well, where they have an accelerator programme that they will... So, for instance, if you're successful here, mm-hmm. will you open up accelerator programmes in, I don't know, other areas of the United States?
2: Not sure. The the thing to not mention, maybe, which might help with the understanding of this, is that Boeing are the platinum sponsor, but the programme itself has been put together by the ATI. So the ATI's <coughs> goal really is to strengthen the... UK mm. ecosystem mm-hmm. and they've chosen Boeing as the platinum sponsor which makes a lot of sense but um the program might exist and in a few years time there might be different sponsors on board okay. so the the, the the I think goal really is to bring everyone together and mm-hmm. to do something um, exciting
0: right right okay that makes that makes sense yeah
1: yeah and who's um if you had to pick a favorite uh. <laughs> you don't have to but just to give us a flavor of of, of these nine startups mm-hmm. and what they're trying to do well, it's not really an. It's not really an industry that I, I ever really come into contact with. Yeah. I can't even imagine what startups going on in aerospace.
2: So, first of all, I'm not going to choose favorites. Mm-hmm. So if you ask me to choose one of my children, yes. which I will not do, one, um, nine children would be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. And yes, I will give you some examples mm-hmm. before I do. What I like about all of those nine and what I think is really exciting is that all of them are solving really big problems, mm. which is what I'm usually really excited about. And all of the founders have the right backgrounds and are kind of experts in what they're trying to do in a technical sense, or but also in a kind of business sense which is great. Mm -hmm. It makes sense, obviously, if you think about it. But still, it's great um, to to see it like that because in Ignite, obviously, I've worked with all sorts of industries and and founders and all of them are great. But um, what I like about this is that it's literally huge, huge, huge problems. And they're Mm. very urgent problems as well because aerospace is facing challenges like lots of industries from kind of environmental to Mm. other things that, you know, they have to be looking at now. And startups are the ones that are better at, being innovative, and they are the ones that are, you know, working quicker and being leaner and in, in going about it. So, I think that's who those big corporates should be looking to for help with that. In terms of who we have in a cohort, so it is a crazy mix. One other note that what might be interesting is as well that we were open to startups from different industries too, as long as what they build was applicable to aerospace.
0: So, so, it so could be AI that could cross over.
2: Exactly, or like. Automotive, for example, is a quite natural one where a lot of what is built there could be kind of used in production of an airplane. We have things from AI to help with inspection um, of plane components. Um, so one of our companies is working on that with a, with an application that basically you can, as an inspector, take photos of that part and it will help you to do make sure you don't miss any kind of flaws that that part might have because currently if you look at data i think something around 20 or 40% of those kind of flaws are missed
1: I'm because we all
2: we are humans <laughs> i'm not
1: flying again that's <laughs> it,
2: that's it. <laughs> um, it's it's okay it might be a small scratch but you know it's it's um it's a God. really big problem to try to solve and they are doing something really exciting around that another one which is more on the of an environmental side of it as well, is about traceability and parts management solutions. So you basically can track a bolt from when it's kind of the source metal is mined to when it's put on a wing or something. I don't know. So making sure you know where all materials you use come from and, and mm-hmm. also kind of the sourcing things responsibly part of it. So they are doing something really exciting as well.
1: Is there anyone building now? an electric plane?
2: Uh, no, so that's that's a that's a whole different ball game. <laughs> um, so first of all, it's very hardware, but um, also because all of ours are still software businesses at cool. Right. Um, but there will be electric planes coming. They're talking um, about
0: them, aren't they? But they, they apparently they're very good for short haul flights. They yes. have somebody going between Seattle and Vancouver, maybe. But they exist. Yeah, they do. They're really effective for biplanes and very small, light like, passenger planes, mm. but then the battery weight gets too heavy. Yeah. 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 Right. There's
2: still a lot that can be done to sort of help with that. And my background is not aerospace either, so I'm still learning as I go. But the osmosis um, must since be great. Say that again.
0: Surely the osmosis of all of these conversations must be fascinating. Oh,
2: yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. There's so much exciting things floating about if I, if I um, think about what I've learned in the past, what now feels like years, but it's probably only eight months or so. Mm. Um. From the the part around um, electric planes, hydrogen, um, having you know one day autonomous vehicles amazing. flying yeah. about. I mean, don't know if you would get on those, but maybe.
0: <laughs> I mean, as long yeah. as the parts yeah. have been serviced correctly. <laughs> but that, this is that this as is my the AI isn't drunk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this is my 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 thing about this whole landscape is there's yeah. so many amazing amazing problems to be solved, and yeah. I've always wanted to be able to participate in the discussions around them. But as you've cited with the with the twenty percent of parts. Being, being missed or something. You don't know what you don't know. And and for somebody to have solved that, do these entrepreneurs often come out of industry? Do they come out of academia? Where are they originating from?
2: That's probably the two most common ones, yes. Okay. So we have a few out of academia, but we have a predominantly sort of out of in- industry, whether that is aerospace or, like I said, kind of a related industry where you can do a lot of stuff that's so, similar.
0: So the profile of your entrepreneur is, is probably quite different to the usual London yeah. tech scene that yeah. person. What kind of ages uh, do you see? Normally?
2: Um, we have quite a mix, I would say. I think our youngest team... Oh, God, don't quote me on that. Now I'm going to have to guess <laughs> ages. So, just to be like <laughs> so we have one team that basically is very, very early that has just come out of um, Entrepreneur First, mm-hmm. um, and they are younger, sort of in their mid-early 20s. <laughs> um, up to... You know, second-time founders that um, are obviously also slightly older um, and have done more stuff. We also have some female founders, which is exciting. Um, mm. Obviously, not enough because there is never enough female founders in tech. But
1: did yeah. you, did you select for that, or was it just? So I think I read that you have got th- out of the nine companies, three have mm-hmm. female founders, which is which is pretty good. I mm-hmm. think when compared to the industry yeah. generally. But did you select for that, or was it just as it as it came out?
2: As it came out, so what we did proactively do is try to find as many as we could to apply. Mm. Um, so the way we were sourcing for companies was very much proactively us going up to a company and saying, hey, you, sh- you could be a good fit and trying to engage as many diverse communities with that as we could. Still, it's very hard and there's still so much more we need to do on that. So um, we're going to be running a female founder event, aerospace event we're, together with Geek Girls. Um mm this april i think potentially to help with that but maybe mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: it's difficult isn't it because when we um we had people who did aeronautical engineering mm-hmm. at imperial and the classes were i don't know like 95 percent men five percent mm-hmm. girls and mm-hmm. so then that's the lead into the industry so i mean i guess it's, it's just so good that you're even starting the wheels turning because mm-hmm. hopefully the female founders who come out of this will will encourage other yes. females in the aeronautical industry to start trying to do stuff
2: exactly you just have to give them a platform to show people because mm. you can't
0: fast-track it. it's like no. a- anybody can jump into the the, the consumer tech space mm. and invent a solution but I think yeah it's, this it's is really more hard.
2: Technical. this is more technical but one exciting thing I did find while interviewing companies and we interviewed lots and lots of female founders I mean not enough still but still and no offense to the male founders out there and um, especially not the ones we've chosen mm. but I have not spoken to a single female founder where I had the feeling that they weren't fully prepared for any of the questions I had for them. They were all just, wow. Mm. Like After every conversation, I would be like, that's incredible. That's just, I mean, I can't see a single flaw in this business. That's Mm -hmm. just amazing. And the background is amazing. It's just great. Whereas very often, and I think this is a female male thing as well, some of the male founders are a bit like, we're great might not know everything not everything might be perfect but we're still going to apply and you mm. know make it work somehow mm. um but yeah literally all the female founders i spoke to were insane it's
0: great but i think this is some of the the feedback that's been reported is that because female founders will raise less money they're maybe a bit more conscientious mm. less likely to be so kind of hedonistic yeah or, or afraid of being cross-examined as yeah. much
2: yeah, 100%. They want to be more
0: prepared. But nice, it's nice that you have a balance within the accelerator of male and female. I mean, in theory, hopefully both can learn off each other and, and mm-hmm. temper one's weaknesses and boost the other's strengths, etc. Is there a female only founding team? Or, or is it always a, a mix?
2: It's a mixed one, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is great. That's how it's supposed to be. I think it's a good
1: <laughs> combination. Especially yes. if you combine that, you know, if we're looking at the bell curve and, and female founders are more conscientious, but male founders are slightly more at ease winging it mm-hmm. you kind of if a you good, have the marriage pun. of those two yeah that was a good pun that was a good pun yeah <laughs> so. if you have the marriage of those two it, it can work really well because yeah. one sort of one's a good foil for the other well yeah.
0: should we trace it back up the chain and, and what's the composition at boeing like
2: um what do you mean
0: of, of female employees at boeing
2: oh i don't have the numbers for that but the ones we have worked with they seem to be quite well balanced to be fair mm. but that's just a limited insight i have from the ones we've spoken to here in europe and the uk and a few in the u.s we've spoken to i'm not don't have the number in my head but they do have a crazy amount of employees in the world it's just
1: presumably corporates of that size have quotas Mm, potentially well so so
0: people come through your your program Mm -hmm. if they felt they needed more involvement from you or it was going really well because Mm -hmm. obviously these are big problems that they're solving and in theory why wouldn't they want to stay having people from boeing continually be able Mm -hmm. to to speak to them, what will happen to them once their graduation is upon them?
2: Yeah, so we are now currently working very hard on facilitating those relationships for them into GKN and into Boeing, so that once we're done, they have those relationships. We will be there to help afterwards, so we will have monthly catch-ups with all the teams and make sure that they are on the right track. And if there is any issues around that connection, we are always gonna help. But hopefully, if we do well, then, the next remaining, what is it, six or seven weeks, um, will set them up to have enough leads and clients to worry about um, for the next year.
0: Mm. <laughs> and, and would there be an expectation to some degree, obviously not too much, that they can do some business potentially with Boeing, and with that in mind, does that hamstring any conversations with other organizations, you know, if they wanted to work with Airbus, for yeah. instance?
2: So this is an ecosystem program, so from our perspective, no we would want them to work with as many other um, um, big corporates or players in the aerospace field or other industries as they can. Mm. The goal is to help the UK ecosystem grow and and thrive so good for them if they can get all of them on board Mm. I mean they're small companies very unlikely to do that with -hmm. that capacity but you know what I mean (laughs) Do Mm. do you
1: know what generally speaking their ambition is these nine companies Mm -hmm. are they looking to to exit fairly quickly to, to someone like Boeing or, or similar, or is it more about building something bigger? and?
2: It's a mix of things. We have a few that definitely have aspirations to exit um, and kind of big plans around potentially even already speaking to people that might yeah. you know, buy them. Um, and then we have others that are looking at it from a bit more long-term view mm-hmm. that aren't quite as set on that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a mix.
1: And from your, your point of view, you don't favour one, favour one or the other, it's just... You no no i think that
2: yeah i think it's just really important to note that um not only for yourself but among your team kind of figuring out the whole what drives you as a founder and what are you trying to achieve long term and what does the rest of your team think mm. it's just a fundamental thing they need to get right really early because if you don't things can go wrong because you kind of don't don't understand why your co-founder is potentially behaving in a the way they are because they are
0: right. you
2: know, following a path that you don't maybe quite understand.
0: Mm-hmm. What, what would the role of an accelerator be if you looked at a really promising company, mm-hmm. a, a really great team, but there was some team cohesion issues mm-hmm. and they needed to sort them out for the sake of the business growing forward. Yeah. How do you as the accelerator take a position on that?
2: Mm-hmm. I don't think you would really take a position, but what you would do is, and we're doing that already before issues even arise, hopefully, mm giving them the right tools to make sure that at least the obvious things are avoided, like having anything, everything in place in terms of the basis of co-founder contracts and making sure everyone understands what, how the equity is split and why, making sure you know people talk to each other about what does working hard look like might look different to mm. different founders, but just having those very open and honest conversations early on, you can avoid lots of, lots of stress and drama.
1: Because mm. mm. cultural signposts, mm-hmm. that everyone just, everyone's clear on what how they should behave because the values are... And they've, they've been debated, they're, they're there, mm-hmm. so that you can refer to them.
2: Exactly, and it's so easy to not do. I mean, I yeah. I remember myself, like we started the company as friends, and we were just a bit like, you know...
0: You're just happy to be yeah, getting started. Yeah, just do you? that, and yeah. don't, don't worry about that. So you're bringing in thing. the prenup before the marriage. Yeah, exactly. Marriage. <laughs> and, and obviously, it's, it's usually advantageous because the, the outcome of getting it wrong is you're dragging an anchor along with you of somebody who's just completely resistant mm. to what you're trying to do with the company. Exactly. Uh, another thing that was like, dawn me is like, interesting or, or funny to navigate within this context is there are some amazing teams forming here and I imagine these big companies, well, let's say take Boeing again, may think, oh, we just, we literally just wanna absorb that team into the Boeing R&D structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and may and make them acquisition offers simply on the basis that that team is full of great engineers that they might wanna take on. Mm-hmm. Um, which obviously adds real cachet to you guys because there's not every industry where their teams will be acquired.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas you've probably got some very high level scientists, manufacturing experts, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then I had another question actually, which was where's the trade-off between these big corporates having their own internal R&D arms? Mm-hmm. I think Fujitsu used to do this a lot, where they'd spin out technology and then turn them into startups versus them kind of coming in in the sort of accelerator venture mm-hmm. model. So do, do, do Boeing currently do any internal R&D projects that they try and spin out into technology?
2: Um, As far as I know they do projects but why we are kind of detached from that and we have to be is, so to explain kind of the structure to you a little bit more, the investment for the companies comes from Boeing Horizon X Mm. so it's the fund um, basically which is detached from the Boeing company and that also means that in terms of kind of our company's IP and everything that's all safe because it doesn't go into Boeing if there isn't a proper contract in place. And they do have portfolio sort of com- companies they already work with and and um, departments that deal with that and help companies kind of get plugged in to mm-hmm. where they want to be plugged in. I think the reason why they like working with ex- external startups and trying to do it the way we do right now is that they just move a lot faster because everything they do internally will be so much slower and have so much more restrictions to it than what our teams you know now before they came to the program were able to do
0: well Boeing so. be clear with issuing a remit of saying, "Look, here are some of the problems we're experiencing." Mm-hmm. Uh, d- do you, one, you, the accelerator, have solutions, or do the startups? Can they tell, communicate this back to the startups? Because I think th- there's th- there's a really fascinating landscape emerging with corporates being involved in the venture space, and I think yeah. it, it's really really useful to both parties if mm-hmm. done well. But there's almost like a sort of Chinese wall that exists between one and the other of the startup not wanting to play their hand too soon mm-hmm. for the, the corporate to copy them and simply the corporate not just communicating the reality of the issues they face mm-hmm. that need to be solved so what's their communication like with the program and with startups and potential yeah. applicants? so
2: the way it works is that early on in the application the stuff that uh, is confidential or that the companies our our companies the startups say is confidential and they wouldn't want to spare, share with the sponsors isn't shared up until they get onto the program they have all of those ndas they have to sign and then obviously have their investment contract they have with boeing anyways which is basically keeping them safe on that end um once they start their one-to-one conversations with those key kind of champions and 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 contacts inside the boeing company they will be more honest around you know this is what we're actually offering or this is the kind of product we will or can offer Boeing at that point will probably not say, oh, that's great because we have this problem. What they will say is, oh, you know, we have this internal kind of thing that we're doing where this could be plugged in quite nicely or this sounds much better than something we're already using internally when it gets to, I don't know, one of our companies doing information management or stuff like that. So I think it's a bit of a trust on both sides, but step by step once you're kind of safe on all fronts, if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. What's what's the, the end game for... For you, here. As we, it, me yeah. <laughs> well, for me personally. Well, for you and your team, for Will and, and Xenia.
2: Yeah. We will be happy if, once we reach Demo Day, all of our companies have some sort of um, interesting lead for a POC or a project, either with one of our sponsors or someone else we put them in touch with. And if they have reached the goals we set basically a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, which are vary from, you know, helping them to scale and hire. Some key employees or raise more investment, or you know get some of their fundamentals right in terms of back of house and, and and all of that. so we've set quite concrete goals with each of the companies and and if we get there with them and if those conversations and i'm I'm pretty confident that some of them will already have very concrete projects that they can talk about That's great. so that will definitely be a win
1: mm. and then you've got another cohort th- for which applications open.
2: On the twenty sixth on demo day
1: oh, oh, so at yeah. the end of that one yes and then you've got remit to run it how many more times
2: um for now it's just it's this just year so that's basically the pilot year okay. um, and we're deciding on on what to do next or how to do next basically around springtime
0: what would the okay. definition of the success of the program be to those sponsoring it
2: um know Go- sponsoring it I think it's one finding startups or finding projects they actually want to plug in and, mm. and doing that successfully, hopefully. Um, and potentially not only having like a project or a kind of one-off thing, but also a more long-term relationship with that company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's big corporates, some good press and, and some kind of goodwill from that is probably something they're looking for as well.
0: It's quite funny, I was at a wire and mobility um, demo day the day and the the main sponsor was a big um, construction company and we're trying to explain why they were involved in the demo day and why the sponsor ends because they had said no and it completely ignored an email from a guy who made this like little startup that they were like it's kind of nice but we're not that interested and ended up Mm -hmm. buying it for about 250 million pounds five years later and they said (laughs) that was such a huge like such a costly mistake Mm. for the sake of maybe spending uh, you know they could have run A million-pound programmes for two hundred and fifty years, and still done better (laughs) off than they did. That so (laughs) it it just it was so clear that that that's the reason why even taking a chance on these accelerators is worth it. But they do need to give you the time to keep growing it, because I would assume your your belief will be similar in this. that an accelerator obviously becomes more effective the more years it has an operation. You have more alumni, etc. So um, one can only hope that they give you enough time to really make good on it
2: right? 100% yeah um, I hope so I mean so far it looks really really good Um, um, it's it's partly government funded so this is sort of the other element um, why we have to wait for whatever happens but um, I'm hopeful that this would be a long term thing and I think there's some exciting things we can do because if you look at the applications we've had through there is lots and lots of startups that need support so Mm -hmm. we would be happy to fill that gap
0: but accelerators are funny as well because they they can become almost a victim of their own success I know um, that Y Combinator was just you know I think really it still is very enviable, but it gets to a point where their reputation means that they sort of have to keep on hitting home runs mm. and they they want to expand the program, but of course you're going to have a lapse in quality after a certain point of time because there's only that many there's only a finite number of really, really good companies mm. uh, that kind of world beaters mm-hmm. um and they can't just plug everybody into the y c model and expect them to be shot yeah. out the other end yeah. of it and be a a massive success
2: yeah, I think uh, the problem i think and um, I mean, there's a place for corporate accelerators and there's a place for other accelerators out there as well, because there's definitely lots of startups that need help. But I think we all need to be a little bit more focused around, you know, what kind of help and what kind of startups we're actually working with, which is why this is quite nice, because we can be really focused on this one industry. We can be really focused on, you know, a very concrete outcome, which is plugging startups into the industry and, Mm. and helping them face some of their challenges. Bit harder for some of the kind of more general or generic ones, but as long as you're, I don't know, clear about what you're actually helping the teams with, I think it's worth doing. I know mm. there's lots of them out there, but I'm a fan of accelerators, so I'm mm. not going to complain.
0: So, and of these amazing industries, for for you personally, if you can spend more time bedding down and understanding one more in more detail, mm-hmm. um, what what kind of tickles your fancy, as it were?
2: other than this now
0: I guess I'm living vicariously through you is what I mean yeah. which is that I find this really exciting yeah. and I think that <laughs> I, I, for instance I would love to read about like electric aircraft all yeah. day or Ollie's working with an electric vehicle company now and I just think this is just very exciting so I wonder if there's any of these spectrum of, of problems you're seeing being solved that you think if I could spend more time in that industry i mm-hmm. would like to learn more
2: um, I think I'm still early on I think all of it at this point is really really interesting um, definitely the more sustainability and environmental side of it um, whether that's on the electric plane side or or just you know at different points in the supply chain that's something I think I would be really interested to see what happens next because the industry is pressured to do something about it so no. mm-hmm. let's see let's see how they get on.
0: I mean people talk about the aviation industry near constantly mm-hmm. as a sort of serious contributor to, to climate change or global warming oh, yeah. and at the same time they also say there's obviously going to be more plane flights because yeah. more people want to travel yeah and are willing to pay for it mm-hmm. Um, so yeah hopefully we start fixing those hopefully you start fixing those. <laughs> challenges. Sure. Well, there's no no pressure I'm on, on your three <laughs> three <laughs> person team save the world
2: yeah no but like again we are a three person team but we have the ati who is the host of the program and their kind of team supporting us with lots of technologists and aerospace experts that um, are around to help us whenever we sort of need that so we've got that um
0: because there's public io is that right the which is the GovTech accelerator yeah. that's opened up recently we are as well. Yeah, in the
2: public hall space. We are in are space, yes. Is that
0: Daniel Koski? Daniel Koski. yes. Koski. yeah, 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 okay. Okay, so they really are making moves to kind of... Yeah. Interesting. Oh, the UK government's trying to do its best, eh? see? <laughs> <Cool. laughs> for all its scruples, it's like we are, we are really trying to kind of push things along. Do you, do you think some of the, the more generic accelerators are going to start struggling now, that people are going to niche down and really offer very, very specific accelerators for them?
2: don't have to as long as they stay kind of inventive and keep iterating on what they're offering like it's like a startup I mean every ignite program we ran historically has been different to the one we did before Um, you need to adapt to the kind of founders you're working with whether that's because of the stage or the sort of industries you're working with but if you have one kind of solution and you have this one curriculum that you offer to everyone for Mm. like 10 years that's not gonna work but if you talk to people and really try to understand what founder the founder of today needs mm. i think it's definitely something people still need especially early stage a lot of founders start something that might not be worth pursuing but might they might be the right people to do something interesting so actually giving someone like that the support in a pre accelerator for example which is one of the formats we used to run and saying okay What are the tools you need to start a business and what do you need to think about? The thing you're doing right now might not be it. Mm. But once you've realized that, you'll be equipped to do something better.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think some people um, think that the magic's being stripped out of creating a startup, but Mm. the longer these operators continue to to pick up data on who's being successful and how to start and accelerate these companies, Mm. the more and more sense it makes to plug into them and the less and less sense it makes to try and DIY Mm. it make loads of expensive mistakes and not kind of get on the, the highway to a sort of slightly more uh, productive place. Mm.
2: Yeah, the saddest thing, and it's happened before, when I was, uh, we, we offered office hours in, or still offer office hours for Ignite to founders everywhere in the world if they want to talk about anything, basically, for half hour. And um, speaking to someone that you see clearly struggling and you see all the mistakes they might have been making and then they tell you, oh, I've been doing this for four years and I've, like, taken up all of these loans and my Remortgaged my house Mm. and done all of that, and you're like, "Oh, why didn't you come three years ago? Mm, You could have, you know." And it's just sad. Mm. There's people out there that really want to help, so definitely use that.
0: Mm. It's a lesson for people. Mm. So we like to ask a series of short questions. Yes. Uh, So first, I'd like to trouble you for is a prediction for the future.
2: Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm really biased because we have we're talking about accelerators so much, but what I do think um, will happen is that founders will. Do a lot more research on the accelerators they potentially want to join or want to work with and they will do a lot more work in choosing the right ones for themselves so as sort of the accelerators out there um definitely something to be conscious of and have important to create something that's of real real value because the good founders out there they won't waste their time on something that isn't um which is great um and I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that suffices. Uh,
0: second one is a startup book resource uh, you'd you'd like to recommend.
2: Yes. Um,
0: or any book actually. Or any what? Any book.
2: Okay. Well, it's really hard because there's so many, if, especially if you think about startups. But one I'm reading right now, which I quite like, is called Codis by Clive Thompson. Tom, Clive Thompson, the new one. I think they're stupid. The new one, um, which is basically talking about you know how do developers think and where do they come from and how are they changing the world and i found it really really interesting because i'm not technical myself and there's been very very many uh, instances in programs where i remember coming up to a founder in the office really annoying them asking a question and especially the devel- developers look at you and they're a bit like why are you talking to me? And I've always thought, I'm just asking you a question. I'm not trying to be rude. After reading a few chapters of that book, I was like, oh, I didn't realize that there are so many things that they were juggling in their head while I was just being like, are you joining us for lunch? And they were like, shit, now I need to do this whole thing again. Um, So understanding their kind of mindset. And also, obviously, I mean, if you think about it, developers or coders, are shaping our world today. So mm. understanding them a little bit better, it's quite exciting. I'm not like done yet, but it's it's a cool one. I'm enjoying it.
0: Well, maybe for the non-technical people to open them up a bit more as well, so it doesn't yeah. become too much of a siloed project for them. Mm-hmm. Because there is the end outcome of, of building all these fantastic AI tools, but it'd be nice for them to be part of the public discourse as well, mm. where we shape them and inform mm-hmm. them, as well as them informing us. Yeah. Otherwise, we completely lose control. I guess. Mm. If you if, actually, if we could help organise anybody to, to have dinner with you tonight who would that be
2: that was my least favourite question ever <laughs> nobody um, you can have
0: dinner by yourself uh, <laughs> no 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 <laughs> well
2: I, so this, have to is be alive. Gonna, this is going to be a weird one yeah, great I don't want to have dinner with a dead person <laughs> <laughs> no we reanimate
1: them we'll for you for <laughs> the purposes <That's>
0: of. Weird. <laughs> Um weird
2: so I think I would say and this is not very start up but still um, I would say Aaron Sorkin mm-hmm. I was I um, was I'm about to re- rewatch because I haven't watched all of it, The West Wing. And I'm a big fan of the newsroom. And it always reminds me of how sad I am that the newsroom is over. <laughs> and I really want to make him do it It'd, more of it. All
1: oh right, so would be a, you'd be you'd pers- be trying to persuade him. Yes.
2: We, yes. Uh, I mean, yeah. if I get a word in because he, from, you know, what I know about him, it will be a lot of him talking and
0: you know which is great we Uh, can definitely at tweet him uh, uh, no I'm a big fan I'm not sure he's an avid listener to podcast. (laughs) we've had some fantastic retweets from good old Brent Hoberman and Jimmy Wells so maybe I mean
2: I would I would be up for that and I won't like just be annoying and talk about the newsroom I know he doesn't want that but you know still I'm a big fan
0: (laughs) okay we'll do our best (laughs) Um, and then the best advice you've given or received A take
2: home. care of your team hmm. because without a good team as a startup you're not gonna make it and I mean obviously there's the whole element of take care of yourself as well blah but also you know as a as a founder or co-founder make sure that everyone's surviving um because that's you know all that matters
0: And that's said from somebody who's seen a lot of teams, so I Mm. suspect that's advice worth listening to.
2: (laughs) I would say so, (laughs) even if I say so myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: And then finally, is there anything you'd like to ask our listeners or say to them?
2: Mm.
0: Keep spamming you with aeronautical ideas.
2: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. No, Um, maybe also a bit more concrete in terms of um, the female founders out there in aerospace or in kind of... Industries that are related like what what can we do to make Programs like this more attractive to them. What will make them feel a bit more welcome. I know it's a very male world out there um, I was the only female founder in my um, first Ignite program mm. with my co-founder mm. So I know how it feels but it's still worth doing so we'd like to get more of them in there
0: Well, We had a former guest called Maya who went on Textiles Detroit with a really cool uh, Automotive AI tech company as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's little strides being made and Good. she did a great job.
2: Good, that sounds awesome.
0: Okay, well, we shall let them know.
1: <laughs>
2: yep,
0: and it's been an absolute pleasure having you, Gabby. Thank you
1: so much for, for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you. It was fun.
1: If you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the startup mic mic or get us an email or your head at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations.
0: Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory back to Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building London are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co and thank you for listening. Goodbye.